Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello and welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. I am Krista Bontrager. This is the show where we talk about all the things related to God, life, and the Bible. Yes. What? <laughs> what? So before we get on, let, let's have let's have a little round table, family. Before we get on, so clean opening. Nice, I, nice clean opening. Yes. So I said what I was supposed to say. What's going on with those earrings? Oh hey, yeah. So these earrings were a gift from the one and only Miss Laura Hartley. They are awesome. This is our logo on them. I think they she are awesome. She made those? She made them with her own hands. I said yes and amen, because they go with my lipstick. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. S- speaking of Laura Hartley, she's one of our moderators tonight. Yes, she is, along with? Alicia Moss. Awesome. Thank you so much. Everyone's checking in there on YouTube uh, and Facebook. Let us know you're watching. Let us know where it's fun to see uh, where it's snowing. Monique's dreaming of snow wishing it was colder no no oh. monique does not like anything cold if it's not at least 77 i am uncomfortable <laughs> yes we have people on facebook checking in from goodness san diego of course miss allison um san ramon north carolina portland oregon all right richmond oh no not richmond sorry redmond <laughs> Redmond, Washington. All right. Yes, Sierra Vista, Arizona. So, hey, y'all. Helping us on the show tonight and every week is the one, the only, the world famous Bob Bontrager. Yes. Professional. We thank Bob for all that he does for us every single day. And, you know, I'm going to take a little moment to have a Bob plug. If you have not ordered our curriculum that's coming out soon, You should run, not right now, as soon as our show is over, run and order the curriculum at um, Center for Biblical Unity backslash reconciled because it comes with six videos and um, they're not necessarily long teachings, but they are shorter shorter teachings, but they're very well produced videos. And Bob has done all of the work on the videos. And I'm so excited. Initially, he had um, AJ, a volunteer, come for the first day. But like all of the editing, putting things together, making sure I don't look crazy. That's all Bob. Yes. So I am so (laughs) thankful for for him and his many, many talents. Now is it's audience participation time in the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please hit the thumbs up. Wherever you are, click on share the show, help support the show. You want to know why? Because today I went on YouTube so that I could log in and start chatting in the chat. And I had been unsubscribed. How did they unsubscribe me from a channel I own? (laughs) Yes, I had been unsubscribed. So make sure that you are subscribed. Even if you think you're subscribed, go look. Because sometimes YouTube likes to assist you and make that decision for you. Yes, because truly you do not own what you think you own <laughs> in YouTube land. Uh, the show is brought to you tonight by uh, the Center for Biblical Unity. Whoop, whoop. Theology Mom Podcast. Whoop, whoop. 
and family 210 what's our design of the week oh joy that's the design inspired by laura hartley yes it's the laura hartley show that's awesome (laughs) we have her shirt and her earrings so go uh, and i have that hat i love that go check out the family 210 clothing on teespring.com five dollars of every purchase goes directly to our family helps put food on our table and lets us know that you appreciate this content and all that Bob does to sew into um, putting the, helping us put all this together. Yep. All right. Now, we have had quite a week this week. Oh, my word. This week has been crazy. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I am specifically talking about the Dante Wright shooting that happened last Sunday in Be- Beverly Center, Minnesota. Mi- yes. Minnesota. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Near Minneapolis. Near Minneapolis. Yes. Yeah. I was going to use Minneapolis as the state. And I was like, that's not correct. So Beverly Center, Minnesota. And people, of course, as people do, have gathered onto their sides. And I feel like social media is going crazy. And, you know, it was racist. No, it wasn't racist. And she intentionally did. And black bodies are, you know, just a threat. And so they have to get rid of them. That's what my newsfeed was. And then there was the other side of it. Yeah, that was my newsfeed, literally. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. That's the narrative? That 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 was my newsfeed this week. She was intimidated because him simply because he was black? Yeah. Yes. Oh. And we can we can talk to to Eric about that in a minute yeah. and All right. see if he hears that too. But that okay. was completely my newsfeed. So we reached but out that to that just shows you how the algorithms work. I haven't seen any of that. So it's like something about how I show up for the world on social media doesn't put those things in well, my Well, maybe feed. those aren't your friends. I don't know. Because I, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but I have a lot of black friends. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't take and, this the wrong way. But I have a lot of black friends and my black friends are like, they lean this way just because of my history. Yeah. And so I just think that it wouldn't matter huh. what the algorithm was necessarily as long as I'm seeing my friends. But even my news sources and stuff, I'm just not seeing No, that. I wasn't hearing that from news oh, sources. Okay. I was just hearing this from like my friend group. Got That's it. what my friend group. Well, my, it's my good to know. And it's, it, it. Obviously, the, what we want to say at the beginning is of the conversation is just what a tragedy this is and how sad the whole thing is mm-hmm. on every side. Oh my gosh, there's so mm-hmm. much sadness. It's just It's just a horrible, sad situation. So we asked our friend Eric Muldrow from Code Red Conversations to come back and kind of help us think this through. He did a couple of videos this week that yeah. we found helpful, and we thought it would be great to have a Christian brother on the show to come help us process some of this. Yes, and if you haven't seen those videos, you can check them out on YouTube at Code Red Conversations. Um, That's his YouTube channel. We'll also put them in the show notes because the way he thinks through it is just extremely helpful. And he doesn't doesn't mix words. He is just real direct and is like, look, this is it. Like, here's this. This is something for you to think about. He's not trying to, um, like, tell you you have to think about it this way, but he just puts all of it on the table and his background in law enforcement, I think is just super helpful in all of it. So let's bring Eric on. Yeah. That's all right. There he is. Hello. Can hey, you hear us? Oh, there you go. Now I can hear you. <laughs> all right. Welcome back, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Thanks for being with us. You know what? Let's start. I know you were you were just here, but for <laughs> in February. In February. Yeah, just a minute ago. Right? <laughs> like just a couple days ago. But for people who weren't like they haven't seen that show and they aren't familiar with your work, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about your credentials. Like why are you the one to be speaking into this? I think you're the one, but let everybody else know. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh seriously though, I have been I was passionate about law enforcement since I was a little kid, but to get further into the present, in 19, after getting out of the Army in 92, I, I, signed, I started working for Westville Correctional Center, which is a maximum, which was at that time a maximum security prison right outside of about 40 miles outside of Gary, Indiana, and about an hour outside of Chicago. I worked there for three and a half, almost four years, and that was an experience in and of itself. It really cut my teeth on how to deal with people who have the criminal mindset. And I learned, uh, learned a ton of information and I grew a lot as a human being, as a law enforcement officer. Fast forward to 1996, I hired on with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department as a corrections officer where I worked for 10 years. I worked the court transport uh, scene I worked in gang intelligence. In 2006, I transferred out to the patrol side of the house for Las Vegas Metropolitan Police. And during that period, I was a terrorism liaison officer. I was a defensive tactics instructor. I was a firearms instructor. I was an active shooter response instructor. And I just took a serious passion for helping other officers become better, improve in their in their skills. Fast forward to 2014, I retired. And over the last few years, I, I just started speaking. Once I started seeing the cultural mindset becoming what came across to me as becoming more and more questioning of law enforcement or even anti-law enforcement in some circles, I just started using my experience and knowledge and started speaking into these issues. So in 2018, I started Code Red Conversations officially. You Once again, like uh, the lady showed, you can find me on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, where I talk about the popular cultural issues related to law enforcement, whether it's a good shooting or a bad shooting or a questionable one. I use my experience and I try to help other officers improve and learn and get better but I would say my primary goal is to help inform the average everyday citizen so they can under, better understand what a, a police officer goes through, what, what their decision-making process is, and to, and to show them that not in every situation or in the situations that may come across as looking bad, not all of them, all of them are truly bad. There are, there are a lot of nuances in law enforcement that the average everyday citizen who just doesn't have that experience or knowledge isn't aware of. So I just take my platform and I try to open up an avenue of communication to help explain things from a law enforcement perspective. And I personally appreciate that perspective. Um, now you said you you do this for like the average person. You know, I was on, I was stalking you, I'm not gonna lie, but I was on your page and <laughs> someone wrote in and they were like, you know, now we have all these armchair quarterbacks. So basically, armchair cops. 
that's that's exactly what it is. They're armchair cops. They're people who have never spent a day in the field, in the force, never right. had to, you know, pull someone over or have their life threatened. And they're now trying to tell people who wear this uniform every day how they should be policing. Mm. Um, what what is as a lay person, you know, and for our viewers who may not be in law enforcement, what are some of the the things that we should be considering when we first hear about an officer involved shooting? Oh, that's an excellent question. I would say the first thing that is almost never considered or thought of is to, and I know it's a shocking concept, but to wait for more information. If more people would do that, that would alleviate a lot of embarrassment and it would help us come across as people who are actually seeking answers. Because sadly, a lot of people just want to talk about these issues from their perspective without any, any goal or desire to really find out what happened. Oftentimes, people just want to push their narrative, push their perspective. And I've been caught up in it before. There have been times where I rushed to judgment but then as more information came out, I was like, man, oh, man, that was a lot. That that changes. This little bit of information definitely, definitely changes my perspective. So I would just ask that people would, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's necessarily in every encounter wrong to challenge a police officer's actions. But when you start getting into more technical issues, when it comes to decision making, short like rapid decision-making, split-second decisions, when you have the luxury of sitting back on your couch, flipping through your smartphone, sipping a soda, it's a major, it's it's worlds apart from being in Chicago, for instance, at 2.30 in the morning when you're responding to a shots fired call and then you're in a foot pursuit with a individual who just shot at a car. And then you turn around, you have to make a quick choice, a quick decision. That is world's difference. And that's why I, I caution, I, I really want to warn people to be careful in assuming or telling an officer what they should have done. Because I guarantee you, if you were ever in that position and you actually had to experience something like that, and I've had I've been in similar situations where I've actually had those experience. It totally changes your perspective on things. It should if you're a rational, if you are at least seeking to be a rational person. I I think that's really good. What were you gonna say? I was like, Hark, you mean we should wait for evidence like the Bible says? What shocking concept. I know Yeah, I that was what I was gonna uh, say too, is that you know, just to add to that from a biblical perspective, God calls his people to weigh evidence, to have multiple witnesses, to be slow to speak. Now, I know that the culture is telling us, you know, silence is violence and you must speak up and you must speak out. And and if you don't do it in the first hour, like Mm. you you don't care about justice, like there's all of these kind of cultural voices coming at us. But we who are people of the book, we are people of scripture. We want to be guided by um, God's wisdom. And and his wisdom is that he wants his people to be uh, people who weigh out evidence impartially. 
and that he that we have multiple witnesses and so in the age of social media instantaneous around the world <laughs> broadcasting you know we have to stand back and and be circumspect about it from uh, as christians that doesn't mean we don't care mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we don't pray for people that doesn't mean that you know we just disconnect dispassionately but we don't necessarily need to go on social media and start calling out the police in the first 10 minutes. We need to be informed. Yeah. You know, and, and not rushing to judgment. Now there, I don't Can know. Can I comment you, on that? Yeah, yeah please go ahead. Do. I, I know he's been on your show before. Edwin Ramirez. I'm pretty sure Edwin's been on. Yeah. Your show that's before. my cousin. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my brother right there. He had a video where he discussed, he discussed that issue and he talked about the, and we know cause we're in social media and we're trying to build our platform and things like that. And we know how it is, how the hot topic we, you want to be one of the first ones to comment on certain topics because you want, it helps you get reach. It helps you, YouTube. It works with the YouTube algorithm and they're more likely to share your content because it's a hot topic, but from a biblical perspective and that, and I get it. And I and I want to be top. Sometimes I want to be the main one discussing certain issues. But if I do that, the danger is if I do that from a position where I don't know any details, I have very little information, but yet I'm chiming in as to what is fact and what isn't. We put ourselves in such a dangerous position and situation because we can be misleading people unknowingly. And for some, it may not really even matter, but if we're believers and we're truly seeking to be seeking the mind of Christ and seeking to be Christ like, we should definitely try to uh, stray far away from that. Amen. That kind of Our friend Jeremy on um, YouTube, he lives in Chicago. He says, I learned my lesson about waiting because of the Covington kids incident. That was the last straw for mm-hmm. me, you know, and so. It, it, but it is tempting, especially when you have a platform, you want to like, oh, if I jump on this and have a hot take, you know, it'll help my algorithms. But as Christians, we should be guided by Christ first. Mm-hmm. And so we want to wait and be be informed. So, yeah. Now, there were two incidents um, that were released this week. One happened this week. It happened on Sunday. The other one happened a couple of weeks ago. The first one, um, the one that happened actually this week was um, Dante Wright. The I believe he was 20 years old. Yes. Um, and he, he was killed in um, Beverly Center, Minnesota. And then the second one, he was Actually, Dante Brooklyn, Brooklyn Center. Brooklyn Center. Thank you. Yes, he was killed in Brooklyn Center, um, Minnesota. And um, gosh, he was killed by the white female officer. Mm-hmm. 13-year-old, though, in Chicago, Adam Toledo was killed by a white male officer a couple of weeks ago. Now, we do have questions in the chat about the Adam incident, but the incident that we want to focus on, because it was right here, um, and yeah, there's just been a lot of talk about it um, more so to me recently, is the one with Dante. Can you walk us through a bit of what happened, at least uh, according to what we know publicly? Yes. What we know, there was the public narrative, and that was that Dante got pulled over because he had air fresheners hanging from his rearview mirror. But what we what we ultimately found out was that he got stopped because he had expired tags, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And during that process, when they're running his information, the officers found out that he had a warrant. And from what I'm hearing nowadays, it was that it wasn't a gross misdemeanor. I heard he had a felony warrant where he actually, this is from, this is the last bit of information I heard. And it, I'm, I'm not sure if it's been 100% confirmed, but what I heard from a couple of news outlets was that he held a gun, he held a woman at gunpoint and attempted to rob her. So he had a warrant out for his arrest for that. And there was also his criminal history where he had a record of fleeing from the police and resisting. So when the officers approached him, they asked him out of the vehicle. They attempted to handcuff him. He, he decided to resist he, and jumped back into his car to take off. The one former officer, Kim Potter, who was a field training officer, had 26 years of experience, thought she was pulling out her taser, but actually pulled out her handgun and ended up shooting him. And he ultimately ended up dying. Man, and there are so many questions and questions we'll get into because I know they're coming in the chat, like how could this have happened and things like that. But um, one of the, the main things that I'm seeing is that this was definitely like without any kind of doubt, a racist incident. In all that you've said right now, I don't hear that anything has been released that says it was a racist incident, but I don't know if you can speak to that. Like, have you seen anything that said, you know, in evidence, this was definitely a racist incident or is it more just going down with the narrative of like, police trying to pluck off black bodies or being intimidated by black a bodies. white officer. Yeah, a white a... officer on a on black body. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty sad that we have devolved to that state where it's, if there's ever any interaction between a white person and a black person, and the black person ends up being the one who's harmed, that it is automatically racist. I can imagine how anyone would feel if that, if that script was flipped on them and people just made assumptions based on their gender, ethnicity, whatever whatever it may be, how offended. If people said, oh, well, black people, they commit a lot of crimes, so I'm assuming you're a criminal too. We would be offended and justifiably so. But it has become so popular and acceptable to hate on white folks. Honestly, it, it's just, it just it, it truly irritates me. And the because they're, from what we know right now, we don't know of any evidence whatsoever that indicates that she had was motivated from a ethnic perspective, that she sought to harm him because of his skin color. Because what they'll end up doing now, they've, they've been able to try to finagle this whole white supremacy argument. It's such a, it, it's such a, and paint everything with such a broad brush that you don't even really need evidence because you ha they argue for implicit bias. It's under the surface. It's there. You can't really see it, but every now and then it pops its head up. That way they don't have to argue or justify anything. So this business about uh, the air fresheners, let's talk about that first, right. because that came from a report from when he called his mother on the phone. And it appears that he's a, I, I watched a, um, an interview with the parents. Mm -hmm. So he called the mother on the phone after he had been pulled over and she asked him, well, what's going on? And he said, they pulled me over because of my air fresheners hanging from the rear view mirror. Now, does that sound 
credible to you as a law enforcement officer? Are you going to pull someone over for air fresheners? Now, would I do it? No. But in some jurisdictions, there can be an air freshener that could be so large to where it's, it's, it serves as, as an actual obstruction to the window for, and it limits the, the view of the driver. So in some instances, that could be a legitimate reason to stop people. Okay. However, from what I heard from the chief of police, he said primarily it was because he was stopped, he was pulled over when he gave the interview. I think it was the next day or day after. He said it was they were, he was stopped because of his tags, expired tags. So another conflicting report that I've heard is about this business about the warrants that mm-hmm. he had this warrants. Now I've read some conflicting reports that there was some clerical error where he was supposed to make a zoom court appearance, but the, the notification went to the wrong address. And so then he missed court and it seems unjustified that he would have this warrant because he never got the notice to go to court. So have you researched that question at all? Or is there any validity to, to that claim? No, that's the first, this is the first time I'm hearing anything about that, that there was a clerical error, but you still have to ask the question, put my, put me in that situation. If I get stopped by the police and they tell me that I have a warrant out for my arrest and I don't feel it's justified, I might argue, I might fuss about it and be asking all the questions in the world. But the last thing I'm going to do is try to get back in my car and run and take off from the police. That's not even going to enter into my mind. Because I don't want to open up the opportunity, the avenue for any harm to come my way for them to shoot me or tackle me or beat me up. I'm going to be going along, fussing, angry the whole way, asking a ton of questions. But there's no way in the world am I going to try to run because I felt as if the warrant was unjustified. Mm. So for you... The the critical one of the critical mistakes, I think there was a few mistakes, was that he decided to try to flee. And I watched the body cam footage from the officer whose firearm uh, that she discharged her firearm and shot him. It is very clear that that he was trying to escape. He Mm -hmm. was trying to get away from them and and drive off. Um, And so that was one of the difficult kind of, I mean, the whole thing happened in just a few seconds. And, you know, when you're in under duress like that, it's, you know, you could sit back and think about it like, Oh, I wish I had done this or I wish I had done that. But when you're under duress, sometimes you just do things and you don't think about it. But that, that incident of him trying to get away then is what led to escalating the, the force it, right. it is, is my I understanding. Say, I would say that what the incident where she shot him, grabbed the wrong tool, the wrong device to try to subdue him. That that's just crazy. That's that's horrific in every way. And no one here. And I, I can definitely say I'm not attempting to try to minimize that or blow yeah. that or blow that off or act like it's irrelevant. But when you get down to brass tacks, when you get down to the core of all things, 
this whole thing was facilitated and he the ball got rolling based on the fact that he made a specific decision. He made a choice. And that choice ended up escalating the entire use of force and opened up the, the door for her to screw up and end up shooting him. We have to, it, it really breaks my heart how we have almost abandoned any civility these days. A criminal can do almost whatever they want to do and if an officer is involved and they end up shooting, hurting, harming the suspect, then it is 100% the officer's fault. We've just, we've, we've just, uh, we're, we're hitting new lows these days. No one is even, no one on uh, who are out to merely make um, Dante out to be innocent, no one that's out to make him to be the total victim here is even willing to engage in a conversation about his responsibility. That is that is something that's not even discussed. And it just really blows my mind. But I, I, I really know that a lot for a lot of people out there, not everyone, there is a true agenda at the at the core of it all. They want a certain mindset because they're seeking to initiate certain changes in our society. At least that's my point. That's my perspective. But I know that's a whole different argument. I think like one of the, the things that though that I'm I'm hearing is, you know, there was a tweet this week by that um, um, intellectual in Hollywood, Chelsea Handler of uh, there. Um, oh, Bob's got it here. Why would any person of color ever comply I mean, your, your issue with this young man is that he didn't comply with an officer when there's a 50-50 chance of getting accidentally shot. Oh my and so, you know, we had you on the show. <laughs> Cut to Eric. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we, this, is the, this is the narrative that's, that's in the culture. This tweet got retweeted tens of thousands of times. Um, so, you know, I'm just want to help people have some perspective on, on this narrative of, you know, how to make sense of this. That is probably one of the dumbest things I've seen all week. And I've been interacting with these topics all week. So I've seen a lot of dumb things, but this is totally baseless. There's zero. She's a talk show host. She knows things. Right. <laughs> so she thinks 50, 50, uh, 50, 50 shot of getting accidentally shot. Okay. So let's examine some numbers here. Can we please, how many shootings took place last year, regardless of whether they're justified or not, how many blacks got shot by the police? 50, 50, really chance that is that, When you look at the number of arrests, I'm not even sure what the exact number of arrests are. I know police make anywhere from 10 to 11 million arrests every single year. I don't know what the ethnic breakdown is on those arrests. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to check that out when we get done, just so I can have that in my head. And I can actually, I'll probably do something in response to that brilliant tweet. But it just does not make any sense. Let's just, there was someone in the neighborhood of 200 and 30 
black men or black black people that were shot last year by the police. I'm talking about whether it was unarmed or they were involved in criminal activity. It was like 230 some odd. So 50-50 chance. So you're telling me that there are only what? Um, 470 arrests of black folks last year. I, it, I mean, all I'm saying is just that they put these these uh, statements out there where when they have not investigated this information, I guarantee you she hasn't read anything on this topic for her to make such an ignorant and inflammatory statement. And that that's the true danger. People who have these broad, these large platforms, they got the blue checks on their social media accounts, they can get away with saying the, the dumbest things, but yet they're, they're looked upon as being brilliant because they, they, they're comedians or because they're great athletes or because they can sing well. And all of a sudden they have all the information. And I remember Malcolm X talking about that back in the 60s. He was talking about how certain individuals were put in the forefront. I think he was talking about Lena Horne and maybe Harry Bel Belafonte were put in the forefront as being black intellectuals. I mean, he was like, all their claim to fame is that they could sing and they acted in a few movies. Our society, this modern society is no better. If anything, it's probably even worse because you have people who are even less informed. At the very least back then, they had, there were actual, in my, in my mindset, there were way more arguments and, and things you can point to within the culture that were actually factual as far as the way blacks were being oppressed. Nowadays, you have to exaggerate numbers. You have to come up with these insane ideologies that are rooted in false information in order to try to convince people that there is this massive oppression uh, being put against blacks nowadays and as long as you got people out there like that we'll always have to deal with that and struggle yeah. with it and i think what was helpful to me last time you were here eric is just knowing like the sheer numbers of police interactions with with people you know that's in the millions absolutely and every day there was a study done i'm sorry to interrupt uh monique if i did i apologize for that but every it was Christmas, in, so sorry <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought, yeah, I thought you were going to say something. Sorry. But there was a study done in 2008, 2009, where they took information from three major cities and three smaller cities as far as the number of calls for service by the police. So they were able to factor in after a year, there were each, each citizen was responsible or received somewhere in the neighborhood of like 0.6 calls for service. So they, they extrapolate, extrapolated the information out to where they were able to say that they estimate that on a national level, the police conduct somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 million calls for service each year. And then if you couple in self-initiated stops by law enforcement officers, vehicle stops, as well as when the average citizen walking down the street reaches out for an officer, asks for help out in the public. So you can then easily more than double that number. So they took that study, they took that information and they were able to estimate and they estimated that police make somewhere in the neighborhood of over 375 million contacts with the public every single year. 
And I oftentimes share that information with people so that they can look at the number of shootings, unarmed, armed, however you want to look at it, where a crime took place or where a crime may, may not have taken place, and then examine that number of contact with, how, with, with all those people each and every year, the number of shootings that take, takes place is incredibly small in comparison to that. Cops are out there, the vast majority of officers are making good, solid, legal, lawful police stops. They're interacting with the public. They're polite. They're courteous. They're going to, going on with their business. And yet we never hear about it. Never hear about it. So they have to push in our faces all the bad ones. So we see it all the time. And then it goes on. They talk about it for days, weeks, months on end. The trial takes place. They talk about it for a few more months. The anniversary comes around. They talk about it again. That's where we are now. And I'm telling you, it is being used to manipulate people in our culture, in particularly black folks. It's fairly toxic, yeah. I think. Yeah, extremely. Yeah. All right. Before yeah. we go on, I want to get to some questions. Yeah. Philip has a question on Facebook and he says, I'm interested if you saw an issue with how the training was happening. Were there new officers handling the arrests? I'm sorry. Were the new officers handling the arrest well? where she then felt pressure to rescue the situation and made a bad choice? I would say that anytime you're involved in, a, in an, an arrest and you see someone resisting, you are expected to intervene. Okay. That's just how it is. If an officer is involved, it, is seeking to take someone into custody and you're there and you're not doing anything, you have no other responsibility, and you're just sitting back and the guy is fighting and, or pulling away and he gets in his car and you don't help, that's not the officer you want on your side. So clearly she wanted to help, wanted to intervene because the guy did manage to get away from the other officer. And, but somewhere in the midst of all that, she just had a, she just, uh, I hope I, don't, I hope I don't offend anybody, but she had a massive brain fart and she screwed up. And I'm not trying to make light of it because it's not a funny issue, but there are studies out there. There's an organization known as the Force Science Institute and they study police uses of force. And they said since, uh, over a t uh, since 2018 or no, since like 2000 to 2018, there were actually somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 times where someone was shot in a similar circumstance like the one that took place just a few days ago. So when you look at all the times officers pull their gun, pull their tasers, probably millions of, not probably, easily multiple, tens of millions of times every single year, it, it's a rare occurrence, but it does happen. So they, they figured out or they assumed that when it's all said and done, you can't always figure out the reason behind that, but they, they recommended, and it was the same thing that I initially said was training is needed. More practice with your taser, because if you are a police officer, you're more likely to use your gun to practice with, to draw, to draw it. When you're in the academy, you spend days you going through firearms training. 
And you probably don't get nearly the same amount of training using your taser. So I think when it was all said and done, you're, from what I hear, you were talking about a very small agency. I heard that there were somewhere they may have 50 officers on the force. I'm not sure how, how uh, accurate that is. So how often do they come in contact with a resisting suspect? It could be the fact that although she had a lot of time on the department, she may not have been comfortable in a situation like that. And I'm not trying to make excuses for her. I'm just trying to think this, this through because it does seem like a, a pretty odd incident to happen to someone with that much experience. You know, I read an article and I not I do not remember the name of the article. Um, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But we talked about it on our family meeting on Thursday that um, it was friend, sent uh, by a law by enforcement. Andy Mack. Um, that's his his handle on on Facebook. He's in law enforcement. He's a police officer um, on the East Coast. And he he sent this article and it was really well put together. And it talked about slips and how when you can be caught off guard or feeling like extremely threatened, then when I like I'm doing everything that I know I should do, but I'm going to go for what may feel most right, even though in my brain and in my mind, like I'm thinking I'm going for my taser and because she yelled out taser, taser, but she went for what was probably more right. It was just a slip. And so I, I don't know, like to me, it made sense in the whole when I consider things like fight or flight or, you know, like who's going to get home or, you know, self-protection and all that. Like, it makes sense to me that, you know, I need to get home. Like I always say, like, if anybody's getting home, I'm going to get home. But then you look at the level of responsibility and authority she's given. And on one hand, it's or on the other hand, it's kind of like, but she's paid to not have a slip. But then, you know, and it's hard to weigh those things out where it's like, you know, yeah, she's paid not to to have these slips and she's paid to be calm and to remember, you know, where your gun is versus where your taser is. And yes, she's still human and put in a very threatening situation where, you know, she doesn't know, like, yeah, she's assuming, and this is my own interpretation, not saying that this was, you know, her thing, but to me, she could have been thinking like, well, you know, is he getting in his car to drive away or is he getting in his car to get a gun? You know, who is the other passenger in the car? There's so many other things that we don't think about and things that the brain goes through when you're trying to defend yourself. Yeah, that slips article, that slips comment sounds similar to the article I was speaking of. From it's the called unin is I looked it up real quick. Unintended. I put it in the chat. It's called unintended. Yeah, a theory yeah, of taser and weapon confusion. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I would say this much. Yeah, and I definitely recommend anyone out there uh, read that article. It's got a lot of good information. It really makes you think. I would say this though, when it comes down to her. What she was her thought process, she said, she said, taser, taser. If she thought he might have been getting ready to take the, use the vehicle and run them over, then you're definitely justified mm-hmm. if that's the if that's the, the the dynamic, if that's the way things were playing out. Then I don't think she would have tried to use her taser in a situation mm-hmm. like that. I think she would have purpose purposefully went for her gun, but she really. You can hear how she responded. She's like cusses, and then she's like, "I shot him," because I think she pauses after she shoots. It's almost like she looks at her hand to see like what happened. 
Like what just happened? Like she pauses, she looks at her her hands. Like she thought she really shot the taser, and then it took a second for it to register. Oh, Absolutely. that was my my firearm. Another thing um, that Andy mentioned, he hit me offline. And he was like, you know, I, I and Andy, I know you're watching, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But that to him, it was like, well, I think she was kind of going for the taser because you're and you can answer this. Um, you're trained to continuously shoot like you shoot until the target stops. Yes. Right. So you but a taser would only be shot once. Yeah, you shoot to stop the threat. Taser sh- shoots once hit or miss. If it works, good. If not, you have to reload and put another cartridge in. So I'm not, I'm of the mind, like I was saying just a few minutes ago, a few moments ago, I'm I'm of the mindset where it seemed to me that she clearly wanted to stop him, but somewhere in in the way her brain just didn't work properly and she ended up using lethal force on the guy. It's just a really tragic situation all the way around. It is because now she's being looked upon as a racist, a murderer. I mean, some and- people are even saying, well, she intentionally said taser, but had her gun because she's a racist. That to me requires so much forethought in if you're watching the body cam footage. I mean, it's a few seconds. I oh, I mean, and it, it also means that other people know the motive of her heart. Yeah. But that's a- kind absolutely. of the narrative that I've seen. So. Yeah. Yeah, you got a bunch of Jesuses out there, I guess, you know, like knowing what pe- what's in people's heart, at least in their own mind. It's crazy. So now she resigned and um, has now been arrested and arraigned. Yes. My understanding is that she's being arraigned on like second degree manslaughter, which I looked yes. up in the Minnesota Penal Code, what that means. And. So <laughs> it's um maximum sentence of 10 years and or I think $10,000 or something fine or or both. Um so I know that many people are saying this is murder. Maybe you can just kind of outline for us the difference between murder and manslaughter and and you know why she's why prosecutors aren't going for murder one, you know. I think murder has to often, and every state has some variances. So I can't speak uh, deeply into Minnesota, uh, Minnesota's laws. <clears throat> but what I can say is when it comes to murder, it has to be some willful intent to do harm with malice, maliciously. Whereas manslaughter could be something where you just, it's more of like involuntary, more unintentional but it brings about the death of someone else. So I think those are some of the simple, if I can just sum it up simply to try to be more broad so it can cut across different interpretations by different states, I would say that malice and intent make the primary differences between the two. Okay, very good. And I I think uh, we have a comment here that somebody said that they, um, they put a fence around her house had to get guards. I don't know if yeah. that's true or not, but I mean, that kind of reminds me of, of a point I wanted to bring up, which is the the laws in the Bible and the Old Testament of the cities of refuge, mm-hmm. of, of which is an interesting parallel, biblical parallel to the situation. And those were a provision that God had in his law when there was an accidental death. So one of the examples that's in scripture is, you're chopping wood and your axe head flies off 
and kills someone. That's an accidental death. That's one scenario. And the back then, like the family could come for you. The, the family mm. members of the dead, uh, the person who's killed can come for that person. And to prevent um, an, uh, another unjust killing, God established these six cities of refuge where people could run and hide from the vigilante family members until they could present the evidence and get a fair trial. And they had to convince um, the priest who lived in the city of refuge because that's where the many of the Levitical priests lived because uh, they didn't inherit land in, in under the Mosaic law. So they would live in the cities of refuge and they would also act as judges and they would hear the evidence. But the whole idea of it was that you could live out your life in the city of refuge if, if your case was found to be an accident, to be an accidental death. And then you could live there in safety until the priest, the head priest died. And when that head priest died, then you could leave the city and you were supposed to like have served your sentence, if you mm -hmm. will, and you were free to go and you could, you could return to your home. But you didn't know how long that priest was going to live, if he's in his 80s or his 40s. Mm -hmm. And so... But the idea of it was that there there was a, a, a payment for that death, but it wasn't the same payment as murder, Yes, which was a capital crime, which was, um, you know, a, a death penalty situation. So it's just yeah, interesting sure. to, to me that provision, even the Bible makes that distinction between manslaughter and murder. And so I think as Christians, we have to understand that in God's system of justice, in his mind, there's a difference. Not all deaths are the same. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to get caught up with the mob of calling this a murder when it's most likely a clear accident, mm -hmm. horrible accident. Yeah. And we, we definitely, we grieve for And there will everybody be consequence for involved. the accident. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, but you know, too, it, it also makes me um, remember that the Lord also, because he is just, there is also justice for the offender. You know, there's justice for the one who makes the mistake. It's not just some kind of, well, string them up or just let them go to the dogs and to the wolves, you know, because they made a mistake. What were you going to say, Eric? No, that's it's kind of similar to what I was going to say. I'm pretty sure that crowd wasn't looking for biblical justice. They were looking for just straight wrath and they were just looking to string these people up. I heard they even had to flee. They had to flee, flee town or something along those lines. But those people are all about there. It's, it's like the old torches and pitchforks from the 1700 Dracula movies or something like that, but they're coming for Dracula or Frankenstein, whatever they're, they, they have their assumption. They haven't made up in their mind what was right, what was wrong, what the intent of the individual, no trial needed. We know what your heart is because this society is inherently racist. So therefore it had to have been racist. So you, you, you will pay accordingly. That's the way a lot of them think. Which wow. is kind of the very yeah. thing that scripture addresses. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know, that that's not how Christians ought to proceed. And that brings me to a question I want to go to on YouTube from Kristen. She says, 
and I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on this, is why you is this? speak into it too? You uh, got truth? Well, I don't know if I have any perspective on this. Is I don't have any lived experience. Why is the church, specifically <laughs> African-American churches, not intervening and saying, we understand this is horrific and sad. How would Jesus want us to handle this rather than making this a race issue? Um, you know, like, how is this, it, how, how do you think that this, is processed among black clergy, black Christians. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Oh, oh. we both raised our eyebrow at the same time. I'm going to, you guess, I'm going to let you go first. You go ahead. Yeah, because I'm sure I'm going to step on a, t a few toes here, but I mean, goodness sakes, I, I'm running against the, the, the narrative on the regular these days. But I would I have to say that there's uh, there's some, a lot, who think the exact same way. They go the ways of the culture. They don't necessarily, and of course this isn't all. I, I don't even know if I can say the majority, but I do know that there are many in the church proclaiming to be followers of Jesus who truly are not. And their worldview is a not a biblical one. It is a It is completely secular. I think back on a lot of my life, the way I thought, the way I, I lived. I profess I profess to be born again and transformed and of God and one of his one of his children. But I look back on it now, I lived as a false convert for the majority of my life. And I'm thankful for the grace of God to truly save me. But I'm not shocked when I look at the world and I look at the majority of churches, black churches in particular, and I see them either remaining side, the ones that don't agree with it, a lot of them, it's, it's tough to speak out against the narrative these days. It's a difficult path to take because oftentimes in the black community, if you don't toe the line, you are just ostracized almost completely. There are not many cultures in our nation where you have to vote a certain way and you have to believe certain things about white folks. But as a African American, as a black person here in America, you need to toe the line because there's a price to pay for that. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that out of for fear for a, a variety of reasons. But I think fear is a big factor. What do you think, Monique? I think I wish I could just shrink back like that Homer Simpson meme. I can just go into the bush. <laughs> Man, like, let me. All right. And for the real, I think that I, I think you're right. I, and this is this is going to be a hard one. It's going to be a hard one. Please email Eric. Um, <laughs> I, I think that too often we we do fear and there is a narrative someone and I, I think his name is brian i'm not sure i don't see the comment anymore on youtube but he was like you know the woke crowd wouldn't wouldn't be mourning if a white person was killed by a black person and i was like dang like you gotta just write it in the comments like that <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's real like that's that's true you know right. and so i think that we go with a certain narrative and our churches and our communities are so enmeshed a lot of times that we don't thread those things out. Now here's mm. something else, and I can't go deep into this, but this is something I've been thinking about the last week or two is black liberation theology and James mm. Cone. 
and how the black liberation theology has a setup from its beginnings and underpinnings of black people always needing to be liberated, always being to be always um, having this perception that they're oppressed and that white people are always the oppressors, that we are always fighting. And that mm. that um, mentality is very entrenched in a lot of black churches in my personal opinion. And so when I see when I when I see the black liberation theology being taught even when it's mixed with some, you know, right scripture and things like yeah. that, to me the, the place for the black preacher is on the protest line because mm. of the theology that he's in the right place. And so I don't I don't know. That's kind of where my mind is with why we don't see or hear more black preachers. I have not. And I mean, uh, there's one guy. He's in North Carolina. What's his name? Woodson. Bishop Woodson. Bishop Woodson. He is the only black pastor that I have heard since I've been home from South Africa for three years. Talk about the nonsense that's happening in black and brown communities. Only mm. one. And I mean, we got some pretty prominent black pastors out there. And he speaks out against abortion, against out of wedlock babies. He speaks out against, you know, a lot of things that you don't, it's kind of, yeah. you don't talk about them. But too that much. are specifically hindering the black community. And so, you know, Kristen, when you say, you know, where are black pastors? I'm not uh, saying that. I, it was just as Kristen. A, I didn't say oh, Kristen. Okay, I said good. Kristen. I believe people, Kristen. People don't write to me. It wasn't my question. When, when people ask like, where are black pastors? I have to sit on the side too and be like, I'm not sure. And, and I, I, I agree with you too. It's like, if, if I do speak out and say something, they're going to come and, you know, burn my, my stuff down. Or, you know, right. run me out of town and things like that. It's it's rough. There okay, was then- a I, I visited a, uh, fa- a family center that's pro-life center uh, a couple of years ago to start volunteering. And they were looking for donations and they go to different churches and they ask for people to donate and help them get funded. And I just had to ask them. I just popped in my head. I said, do you guys visit any black churches? And she said, no. And I said, well, why not? And she said, because we tried and they just didn't want any part of it. And I was just like, I wasn't shocked because at that time I was really digging deep into studying the, the impact of abortion on the black community and how the church was often used to the black church in particular to help push these ideas, this, this whole Planned Parenthood concept. So I wasn't stunned at all, but you had someone who worked in that field. That's her, her day job is it works at a pro-life center. And she said, the black churches just do not want to get involved. So it, so when you see a pastor who speaks out against these issues, you're looking for, you're seeing someone who's bold and who's passionate about the word of God. And he doesn't really care what people think. Yeah. Go check out Bishop Wooden. Boy, he doesn't care. he tells the black young men in his church, pull up your pants, dress in a it. suit, uh, you know, work hard. He doesn't pull any punches. Uh, it's with so that. sad that the idea of work hard and, and and pull up your pants and take care of your kids. That's like something that has to be told because there's a world out there that's telling you that that's really not that important. Yeah, it's really it's really sad. It's a sad demonstrates a sad state that we are as black folks and as a nation in general.
All right, Philip has a comment on uh, CFBU Facebook. Bob's going to pull it up here. How would you compare the level of trust between citizens and patrol officers now versus 10 years ago? Is the culture of policing such that officers can do things that build trust? Uh, let me answer the part that, as far as what they can do to build trust. I think that there's always that element. I honestly, this is my honest opinion, that if you go to the to the boot on the ground, as I like to say, the officer on the streets who's policing a specific community, he's interacting with the citizens. I think there's a good relationship there. I think what we're seeing now is a popular narrative being pushed forward by a specific group of people, but it doesn't actually relate to the average everyday citizen. There was a Gallup poll, I believe it was Gallup, that put it out last year that spoke on the Black perspective of law enforcement and whether they want them in their communities or not. And it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% said they want either the same amount of police or they want more police in their communities. And then once that came out, then this was just prior to the election, then the Democratic Party took a whole different stance on, instead of sitting back and being quiet while all the riots were going on, then they tried to speak out against it. But once they realized that there are people that the average citizen who's living in these communities really wants change, they want to be safe. They want to welcome and open arms and open their arms and, and, and bring in more law enforcement or the same amount of law enforcement once they realize that, they had to look, see things a little differently. I think that, the, like I said, the average officer truly cares about his community. If you say going back 10 years ago, you're talking about 2011, you always have this always natural tension between certain groups of people in law enforcement. It'll always be like that because that narrative has been pushed for a long time and there's an element of truth to it. If we're honest, if we go into history and we look at how Certain people were treated, Blacks, Hispanics in particular, in certain areas of this country over the years. And so there is a sore spot. There is an, a, a bad history there. But these days, it's become very easy to keep picking at that scab in order to exaggerate. Yeah, I said exaggerate an actual problem. Are there issues with police brutality? No question about it. Is it the number one issue impacting the black community in our country? Absolutely not. I know that's unpopular to say, but the reality is that it just is not the issue that is being made into. So when we look at the how things are nowadays compared to 10 years ago, man, we're in a totally different world. 10 years ago, there wasn't a com conversation, not on any public scale, of abolishing or defunding the police. But now we hear that on a weekly basis. Yeah. As a, did you want to do another question? No, go ahead. I'll, I think we got them all. So the people were okay. saying um, Uncle Vody and um, my Uncle Virgil Walker, like they're, they're also speaking out of it, uh, about it. They definitely are. I actually probably just misspoke. I meant like you're not like you're a pastor without a platform. Yeah. You're like normal, right. just, you know, I'm in my normal storefront and you Church. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, question uh, that I think I wanted to ask and now I don't remember it. 
<laughs> you got me all sidetracked. Ah, uh, that's okay. Sorry. That's all right. Um, no, it's good. Good engagement coming. Oh yeah, about to defund the police. Um, it, now I don't know if you. I know you do a lot with statistics. Have you done any videos uh, that we could refer people to on the whole defund the police thing and what the impact it has been so far in cities that have started to go down the defund the police path? And, you know, do you have any thoughts about this idea of, well, maybe we do need social workers to come in and intervene. Maybe not every situation is a, a law enforcement situation. I'm just wondering if you've done any videos ab about those questions. Yeah, I have a video. I have two videos on BLM. And there's one that says BLM and defund. I think it's examining BLM. It says defunding the police. It's about 24 minutes long. The, in that video, I go into a lot of detail as to the mindset of defunding the police from BLM's perspective, and they talk about what it means. So, and I take point and I go point by point. I let the lady talk and then I interact. And there's some areas that I totally agree with. Police officers do are given a tremendous amount of responsibility and some things start to step outside of the, the realm of law enforcement. There are jobs that it would be cool if someone else took over. But if you're talking about a domestic violence call, sending a social worker social worker as opposed to a police officer, you're asking for a bloodbath. If you're talking about certain mental health calls, I think the thing it should be is you have a, like, like you do with medical, on your typical medical calls, on that typical medical calls, let's say there is a person who is suicidal and an you have a patrol officer arrive on scene in order to make sure everything's safe. He's not trying to shoot himself or doesn't have a knife against his throat. You bring an officer in there who can kind of make sure everything's safe. And once you that's determined, then you bring in medical, they can transport the guy to the proper mental health facility, the, proper, the right hospital, so they can get the treatment that they need. I think if you in certain in situations where you're dealing with someone who's potentially violent, potentially dangerous, or a situation that is historically dangerous, the idea of just sending in an unarmed social worker with a clipboard asking a series of questions, you are really opening the door for someone to get hurt. And as soon as the first social worker gets killed, the whole thing's going to go out the window. They've but already had one killed. As, as a former social service worker. You can send me in because I got these hands. Don't play no <laughs> games with me. I ain't, I ain't the one. <laughs> no, you, but, look so, you look so deadly over there, Money. Right? <laughs> it, it, it's going to be so bad. It's, I know. You, I you've know. called 911 a few times I've, in I've your called, day. I've had to call 911 a few times. Um, but there, no, there was a social worker killed. She was stabbed. She was stabbed to death. Oh, dang. Uh-huh. Um, and no, like no social service people that I know want to go in there and, you know, do all that. When, when we go in to remove children and stuff like that, like we have a police escort. I'm not trying to go up and take nobody. Can you imagine? Let me just go up in here and take Emily and Abby. Like and you would kill me. You know what I mean? So no people we need, we need police and social service officers or social service workers 
aren't trained for that. Like we can be trained to de-escalate. We can be trained to assess. We can do like all kind of psychosocials and all that. But when it come down to it, I don't necessarily want to break my nail. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that person over there. They got the baton for that. <laughs> the body armor, the, yes. the gear, the taser, yes. whatever. We're prepared for that. The yes. whole job, all the training we received, however long your academy is, Five months, six months. Mine was six months plus another 20 weeks of field training when I went out to the streets. So by the time I was on my own, I was real confident in how to be a cop. Yeah. By the time I was on my own, I was very prepared. Not to mention all the preparation I did just throughout the course of my life, being a soldier, being into martial arts, working out. I was ready. I felt very confident to do the job. If you went to college and, and you learned how... Um, different forms of mental health treatment and counseling, and you have zero ability to deal with a conflict, physical conflict, you are asking for problems. And these, I haven't heard any social worker, like you said, the social workers I know, the psychologists I know, they ain't looking to go out there and, and deal with these people. Not like that. Not no. on their own. No, I mean, it's bad enough. I had to rough up a, a kid. Like, I had, I remember having a, a fight with a kid and having, because you're trained you're to restrain. You're working in a group home? Yeah. Oh, me. I've had quite you're a few. But you're trained to restrain. You know, you got to watch, watch your face. But, you know, that. but that's a whole thing all by itself. It's like, I can't just wild out on, on some child. You have to do all the things proper, decent, and in order. And so, you know, yeah. it, it, I can't imagine how now doing that with a grown man, hmm. you know, right. I worked in a lot of, a lot of group homes that were probably like level 12, level 14 with girls who were my size. What do you mean by that level 12 and 14? Level it's, age? No, it's the severity of behavior. Okay, and so that- group homes go they as they go up the more um behaviors you're um likely to see will go up and so i have worked in like locked facilities and things like that but it's it's been you know i feel like if a, if a girl a woman come to me I, I think i can hold my own but i mean if a man six two six three you know on drugs on drugs trying to defend Ill. his family mentally ill like there's so many issues that people don't understand that i think that cops go through just daily yeah. you know and so no please don't send in the social service people please don't please don't. there was a me. there was a shooting in sacramento a few months ago i did a video on this where there was a police officer there are two cops who arrived on the scene of a lady who was taking her two kids and she was going from house to house asking people for help. Someone finally called the police. The officers arrived. She pulled out her knife. She's standing there holding her kids, pulls out her knife. They're trying to talk her down. They're trying to calm her down, trying to get her to comply. But she's still standing there with, with her knife. The second officer tries to tase her. The taser misses. Oh. She starts running after him, ready to stab him. The other officer ends up sh- shooting her. I watched the news report where they talked about it. They didn't show the fact that she ran after him with a knife until the very end of the video. I'm talking about the last 10 seconds. They showed, it was like a two minute video, but there was one lady there who was arguing, see, these are the types of calls where police officers shouldn't be on. This should just be a call where a a mental health worker shows up. I'm like, how in the world are you gonna justify sending somebody into a situation like that? What if you, at first she didn't have a knife. 
At first, she didn't have a knife. It wasn't visible. It was in her pocket. But as soon as things went sideways, she reached in and she pulled it out. So again, you would have another situation like the one you're talking about where the social worker was stabbed to death. You're going to have that happen more and more. And then they're going to be trying to backtrack and not be and, and not be held accountable for these foolish, ignorant ideas. Like you were asking me earlier, Krista, there are so many places across the country, almost every place that talked about defunding the police has, has backtracked. And now they're asking for funds so they can hire newer, newer officers. It's totally ridiculous. See, people do not think these things through. So it sounds like what both of you are saying is like you could see some scenarios where mental health workers, social workers could be helpful adjuncts, but not substitutes for law enforcement yeah, personnel. Yeah, to me, it, would make, it can make some sense. Once a person has been, you know, checked out and like that, you know, they don't have a weapon. Um, like if there's some sometimes the escalation and things like that. But a lot of times when drugs and things like that are part of all that makeup, people need to come mm. down and need, you just need to sit down for a second. Yeah. You know, and then have some some kind of talk time. But yeah, you know. I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. All right. We're going to say goodbye to Eric. We could keep chopping it up all night, but this we is the could. third interview he's done today. So we want to say thank you to him. Yes. And thank you for just doing this, for helping people to think through it. Yeah. So Code well, Red Conversations, go follow him. Check out his content. Make sure you're subscribed, even if you thought you subscribed already. Yes, because, please. Uh, YouTube sometimes likes to help you with that. And go follow uh, some some sane uh, and biblical uh, wisdom on law enforcement conversations. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate it very much. You're welcome, ladies. Have a good one. Thanks. All right, bye. Take care. Bye. All right. All right. Yeah, no, don't be. Don't. Oh, I was gonna ask him if that was Thanos in the background, but it was Jeremy. I could see it. It's not Thanos. Oh, you made me out to be a lie, and I thought you was gone. Well, see, you see, <laughs> see how people do you. <laughs> what is it, in Thanos in the back? I got the Hulk, two Hulks, oh. and I got Kratos from the video game God of War. Okay, Whoops. Jeremy, you heard that? Sorry, I didn't mean I didn't mean to go out and be lying like that. I sure will though. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. Pray for me. I'm a work in progress. All right, now we know the superheroes. Bye. Yeah, no, don't send in the social service people. As some as someone who has been stabbed, like I got into a fight. I remember getting to I got into a fight and I got stabbed. I'm, I, I ain't volunteering for that no more. <laughs> I'm not going to volunteer for that no more. And I don't, but I don't think that people who are crying and calling out for sending social service people, they not social service people. Well, I can see it as a, as a helpful backup or an adjunct to law enforcement. I, I mean, I can, I can but see. But we can't defund the police and send in a social service officer. I feel like that's the professor who, who like, you know what? I did some statistical research and we need to uh, send in. A, are you suggesting a sort of like an ivory tower academic yeah. idea that's not in the real world? It's not because what you going to do? Like what, what They're going to start sending your social workers back home left and right. Just left and right. No, we, we need to, can we go back to the drawing board and think that through a little bit? All right. So are we going to talk about this superhero thing? What superhero thing? I don't know. Whatever it was you guys were talking about in the car. Jeremy wants us to talk about. Jeremy said we was going to have a family meeting on that. 
Okay, so I don't have to. We do don't have. I, I don't I have am to not do that. In, so I'm I don't know not nothing about to, superheroes. No, we. But we will talk about. Um, I don't know if anybody's following. Um, the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you are, <laughs> we might have. We, we. I will. I will commit Jeremy to a family meeting on Thursday. It's not this Thursday. We are not two here. weeks. Yeah, two weeks. Ooh, that means I might not be able to see it on Friday. Mm, I don't know. We'll we'll get some time because the this show, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, has kind of a a narrative to me that is very white oppressive. And you just have to kind of follow the, the plot and the lines and things like that. But it's it's definitely going down against white people. And yeah, I need to to think about it. We had a long discussion about it in the car today. And so Oh, gonna... Eric says he jumped on Falcon and Winter Soldier is terrible. That show last night was a mess. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Why are we here for so long? Anyway, that is not what we are talking about right. right now. Ready right, to go right to the next thing? Is the tweet of the week. <laughs> it's the tweet of the week. I should probably explain. <laughs> when Abby was 10, she went through a puppet making phase. That was one of her puppets that she made. She has a lot of them. I, I love the puppets. I think that's my favorite Tweet of the Week intro. Abby's puppet. Hmm. Yes. I forget what that one's name was, though. She would remember if she were here. Now she's all grown up and has a job on Saturday nights. All right. So here's the tweet. Sam say, Dante Wright was, is made in the image of God. The police officer who seemingly accidentally killed him is also made in the image of God. Therefore, their creator, not Black Lives Matter or the media, sets the standard of how I should love them both. And he commands impartiality. Impartiality. That's a good one. That is a great tweet just to sort of sum out, summarize, you know, some kind of a theological perspective on what we're talking about tonight. You know, that both are created in the image of God. Um, just a terrible situation. We mourn the loss um, of any lost life uh, in in this type of a situation, which seems to be an accidental death. But that there's also justice available for the police officer. Mm-hmm. And or there should be. There should be. I feel like people were surrounding our house and they had to put a fence up, so people were trying to. But that's the that. very scenario but- that the Bible is trying to address. Mm-hmm. If that's true. So, you know, God's standard of justice, it's going to get more and more clear as our culture gets further and further from God's standard of justice. I think it's going to become more clear to people like the Christian way. I hope so. Is is this, you know, Christians don't jump, rush to judgment. Christians wait for evidence. Christians rely on two or three witnesses. Christians don't follow the mob. Christians don't engage in partiality of favoring the victim over the person, uh, the victimizer, that there is justice for that person too. There's justice um, and protection for them. This just in. (laughs) Oh my gosh, y'all pray for me. What you mean this just in? Girls, only us. (laughs) I was remembering that 
Facts of Life episode we watched last night. Go ahead. Excuse us. Excuse us. <laughs> Does anyone remember the Facts of Life? All right. So we have got, I guess that's the end of my tweet. Did you have any comments about it before I go on to the next thing? No. You got no response? No. no amen. Thoughts. Just uh, amen. <laughs> amen. Okay. Yes. Amen. Good. Go follow Sam Say. All right. Uh, one final thing is um, on Facebook last night, uh, I opened up registration on a class that Monique and I are going to be teaching. It starts very soon, um, and it's a theology of race and ethnicity class. It's going to be eleven weeks, and it's a class. It's not a, it's not a um, book group, book live group. stream. Yeah, it's it's a class. Yeah. So there's a little textbook to read. We'll be meeting every week on Zoom and talking about huh? What's the link? Uh, go on Theology Mom. Click on events. Click on events. Eric talking about he used to have a crush on Tootie. Stop it. <laughs> That's our one of our favorite shows as a family. So anyways, so it's an 11-week class. We've got a ton of great guest speakers. They're going to come be a part of the class. We're going to be covering kind of a theology, a biblical survey of what does the Bible say about race and ethnicity, but also getting into a lot of current topics, current topics, practical ministry applications in the local church. What, you know, how do we think about um, interracial families, mm -hmm. children, transracial adoption? Uh, how can we have more um, cultural, uh, cross-cultural appreciation? Yeah. You know, so there'll be some good discussions there. We're going to read John Perkins' book, One Blood, mm -hmm. as the foundational textbook. So you Where can on go on events. Uh, I don't see anything for your it's not on my site. It's on my Facebook page. Oh. Okay. Um, this, is, this is my fault because I didn't send him the link ahead of time. Yeah. I'll put it on... Uh, We'll put it in the, the chat. show notes. And the chat. So, all right. So if you want to go check out the class, you can do that. Again, just go under events and you can go on the Center for Biblical Unity page or on the Theology Mom page and get signed up. Now, I, I only have... a link to it in YouTube. Okay, great. And I only have... Uh, we only have 35 slots unless Monique talks me into something else. I personally think that we should open it up to at least 50 people. So that would be my little heart's cry, but we'll see. We'll see okay. what happens with the first 35. All right. We'll see what happens. Okay. That's it for tonight. That's it. You guys have a good week. Have a blessed week. Stay close to Jesus. Right. <laughs> right. Stay close to Jesus. And remember that, that you have a light that is shining and that, you know, the world is watching. So shine your light. That's a good word. Shine your light. I got to remember that one from when the days when I'm in Costco. <laughs> Preaching to myself. <laughs> we know it's rough out there, but we hope that you're finding some camaraderie and family here uh, through the ministry and that you are uh, finding some other like-minded people. We encourage you to jump on our social media, join a book group, join the class, uh, tune into a family meeting, 
but find some fellowship in your life so that uh, you you can find some like-minded Christians to take a stand with you for the historic Christian faith. And um, this is what God has prepared us to do. Yeah. So. All right, you guys. See you next week. Good night. And God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.